Welcome to the podcast, everyone. Today I've got with me Kevin, Kevin Harrington. Kevin actually joined Succession Plus um, after we met and have known each other for a number of years in, in past lives where our, our roles and our, our journeys have crossed several times. It's, it's this background that has brought us together to form up and team up again in Succession Plus. So why don't I get Kevin to explain it because he'll do a much better job than me. Kevin, welcome. Hi, Daryl. Ever the optimist. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, so we, we met, I, it must be in the 90s, wasn't it, when we first got together. Uh, and that was a, one of those chunks of my career when I was working for a, a global business. That was Sodexo. Uh, I've, I've been with many big companies, Hitachi, Sony, BBC uh, and Sodexo. But equally, and I, and I found it just as fruitful. I spent a lot of time working with um, small startup businesses and, and SMEs as well. And I've tended to alternate through the years. And, and my career has encompassed products and services businesses um, and mostly with a commercial and marketing bias, but progressively moving more into, into general management and uh, the, the overall running of businesses through, through the years. So I've looked at your CV and, and I've got to admit, it's one of the most creative uh, CVs I've, I've ever seen in my life as a, a bit of a bar chart. So I guess that's a, a tribute to your creative background and, and many of the roles you've had in the marketing and sales side of things. So what was it that attracted you to you know, pull all of your, your background and your work history together um, and focus that on, on helping owner-led businesses in the mid-market sector to, to get the most from their life's work. What, what, what is it that, that led you there? I, I suppose part of it from a, a very personal point of view is I, I love seeing lots of different businesses. I think it's a, a fallacy to think you can learn a great deal in business by being with one firm, even if you have many different roles in that firm for a, for a whole career. Um, so to date, I've worked with, with many different businesses in many different environments. And, and at Succession Plus, that's what we're doing as well. And we're bringing that knowledge individually and collectively to bear. I think one of the interesting things, though, is if you work for a big multinational, it's not just where you put the decimal point that you get a difference. A big multinational can decide to have a strategy that says it's going to divest itself of a, a division or it can acquire other businesses and merge and so forth. And they can do it fairly routinely. I mean, when I joined Sodexo, within months of me being there, we had, we had uh, assimilated three businesses into ours and uh, really exciting times. But an SME isn't geared to do that. An SME, um, all too often, the business owner, the business leader, is up to their neck in running the business for a start. And they do, why do they do that? Well, partly because they love it, which is why their businesses are successful. But they don't have the time, they don't have the vision and visibility of things to be able to start planning an exit. And for, for most of these business owners, their, their business is, represents many years of their life. And it's their pension. It's, it's the most valuable thing they've got. It's their future. And it just seems criminal to me that so many business owners fail to maximise that benefit. And it's, it's not particularly difficult to achieve success in those areas, but people need to know what to do. They need the advice and they need to step back. And that's a really interesting, really interesting journey. Um, at the same time, you know, a thing I enjoy is helping people grow businesses. So there's a, I suppose there's a little bit of a, 
a conflict there between saying how to grow a business and how to exit a business. But in my mind, they're, they're often sitting in the same place. Mm. You get the most in sell, selling your business or exiting your business when you can show it's thriving and it's growing and it's, it's got a dynamism that will stay even if you leave the business. So I'm in a situation now where lots of the things I've done can be brought to bear. And, you know, I'm meeting lots of interesting people. It's great fun. Yeah. And we all know that a uh, history of increasing profitability increases the valuation in any case. So, um, and look, Kevin, I know in my conversations with you, it seems to be that no matter what scenario we're, we're talking about in the business, whether it's, you know, moving from, from selling time to selling product to customer experience to um, licensing to you name it, you seem to have some experience where you've been involved and got some great stories. So, with that background, what is it about, you know, where do you see the angles or the, the crossover, if you like, of, of being involved in, in corporate world? And how do they, you know, how does that experience, how can that benefit the, the owner-led sector and the, the, the mid-market that we're involved in at Succession Plus? Okay, there's a number of ways of uh, attacking that question, I guess. Um, an owner-managed business, um, an owner-managed business, could start off by by saying to themselves, "Well, look, we don't, we don't want to behave like a corporate, but how the hell do corporates manage to achieve all these things?" Well, to some extent, we're we're the, the facilitator for that benefit. Someone who's running um, a successful professional services firm, for example, might be have a revenue of ten million a year, for example. Um, they don't need to behave like the Deloitte's and uh, um, PwC's, etc. But how can they get the best of both worlds? Well, that, that sometimes is talking to people like us and getting the, those benefits to to land on the table in front of them because of our experiences. And there can be a hybrid. There can be the best of both worlds. But how on earth is a business owner going to achieve that without external stimulus? Hmm. Yeah, and it's a it's a case of I guess knowing and understanding the disciplines and infrastructure and um, all of the various you know foundation work that that has got in place and they have in corporates that they just take for granted. It's part of their everyday. They they don't even see it as being different. They're just seeing it as being their normal. And you know, applying some of that thinking to the SME is um, uh, where I've seen value in the past because they're just not aware of those things because they haven't been exposed uh, before. And yeah, I think some great examples there is, is, is in documentation of the business systems. You know, in a corporate world, you have a lot of detail around the, you know, the procedures and the processes and the various layers of, of documentation. Whereas in an SME, you can, you can get away with just detailing or documenting the flow chart, workflow chart of you know, what, what's required and just have a whole lot less detail because there's a lot more communication. You know, it's maybe only one office maybe 30 or 40 people, um, it's a whole lot easier to get things done and move from one person or one department to the other because of personal relationships. You know the person or people involved. Yeah, I, I, I thought it went through my mind with what you're saying there, Daryl, is that, um, yes, the big firms have things highly documented um, for, for some fairly obvious reasons. The small firm doesn't need to do that, as you say. There's, there's no compelling need uh, presenting itself. But my, my experience has shown time and time again that with a relatively small business, 
if you can get that time to get things documented correctly with correct flows and relationships and look at the functions of different departments and what goes on, um, not only do you create something that's documented that makes the business more valuable in that a purchaser can uh, acquire or the business can see how it works better. But I've discovered time and time again, people suddenly realize that they're wasting time and effort delivering certain things that they've always done as habits since they first formed 10, 15, 20 years ago. When, when they sit down and really think it through, there's things that are getting neglected they should focus their time on. And I've seen people make a shift to the benefit of their, their clients, as well as increasing the value and satisfaction of the people within that SME. Mm, yeah, it's, and it's, it's applying the principle of what happens in a corporate space and then implementing it at the right level of detail for your business, I think is the, the secret. Yes, yes. I, I, I found myself thinking about professional services firms when you were talking there, and um, you know, I think a great thing that the big firms have done in professional services is they, they have set about, dare I say, productizing what they do in that they, they, they will talk to people. And I, I've been the beneficiary of this. I've worked with many, uh, had many big consulting firms come and help me do what I've been doing uh, in corporate life. Mm-hmm. Um, but rarely do they come along and say it's going to cost you £175 an hour for a, a, a manager and 250 for a director, etc. They come in and, and sort things out on a project level. Um, and conversely, my experience very often is with professional services firms is that they get caught up in trying to price themselves by the hour. Um, and it's about maximizing the billing hours. That's obviously very healthy. Um, but where do you go from there? How do you scale a business if you're just selling your time? And I don't think clients really just want to know how many hours you work. They want to, they want to achieve the outcomes that they, they need. Mm-hmm. So it can work for both parties. It's not a matter of clouding issues for the client. It's a matter of getting people to focus on what's right. It's not just spending hours with the client. It's delivering yeah. the results. And people will pay for that value. And you know, we can help SMEs achieve that. Yeah. Well, it's sending a real mixed message to the market when they say, hey, look, we want to have a relationship with you. We want to be there. We want a long term. But yet in terms of their pricing mechanism, it's very much transactional. You're buying hours from us as a commodity. So it's a real mixed message there. The relationship is, is the value, but the commodity is just, hey, look, what's the, the cheapest I can do it is the, the incentive there. Mm. And um, yeah, I think there's a lot of value in, in, in moving professional services. It's interesting how we've ended up on professional services, but there's a lot of value in helping professional services move away from that hourly rate, you know, not because it's more profitable, but because, you know, not, not only because it's more profitable, but because it will really help with the valuation and separate the, the value delivery to the client away from the individual and, and shifts it from the individual to the process that they follow. Once they've got the process that they can follow, it's repeatable, it's reliable. It means that when someone else comes in to buy their business, they're buying the process and that they can train the people to deliver the process rather than buying and being dependent on the people as individuals. And I guess that's a a pet topic of mine and uh, I often get onto it. So uh, forgive me if I've dragged you down that one. So, Kevin, I'm looking at your history. I think you've been involved in Sony. You've been involved in, in, in all sorts of areas. Um, just trying to bring your, your 
your CV up again, again here. Sodexo, uh, BBC, BBC Worldwide. I think you were telling me that you're, a, you're highly involved with had a number of conversations around Teletubbies. <laughs> Are there any co connections there that we can use between Teletubbies and, um, and uh, linking that to you know, uh, the, the owner-managed business or the owner-led market? What, what lessons can they learn from your experiences there? Wow. Now, that's an interesting topic, isn't it? Uh, Teletubbies coming in as a team of management consultants. I can picture it now. Uh, it's interesting, actually. I mean, Tele Teletubbies was one of, the, one of the many brands we looked after there. And, and, of course, the creator of that was an owner-managed business in itself. Um, Anne Wood was the person that ran the business and, and created Teletubbies. And uh, one of the reasons it was so successful and became a proper global brand and sold so well is that Anne took the view that, she didn't know everything. Um, she knew she was fantastic at making these great programs and, and, and previous ones as well, like Brahma and so forth. And, and she realized that to achieve the growth and the distribution she wanted, working with an organization like BBC Worldwide achieved that. Um, so rather than taking the view that she knew it all um, and probably not maximizing the sale and the distribution, we were able to uh, in, inject money into the production of Teletubbies to in, allow more and more programs to be created. And they were created uh, with, with money that we achieved by selling the program worldwide. And the whole thing became bigger. And still, um, Ragdoll, who make um, Teletubbies, uh, Ragdoll Productions, became a bigger and bigger business and maintained its independence. So I suppose the lesson out of it, rather bizarrely, I wasn't expecting you to pitch anything in that direction. I suppose the lesson is that if if you're, for want of a better term, short-suited in something, in this case, distribution of money, um, you can still be enormously successful if you partner with people correctly on the right kind of terms. And her, her business became justifiably very successful, and, and all credit to, to Anne. So, Kevin, you've, you've mentioned about business leaders and, and I think yourself in, when, when you're in the GM and MD type roles of organisations yourselves, one of the things that you did regularly is bring in advice all the time. And uh, so, obviously, where advice, provide advice for, for you know, owner-led businesses, what is it that uh, you think is, is where there's really value add in, in businesses bringing in succession planning expertise specifically um, and why do you think that this is uh, an area that they should be looking at rather than just trying to do it themselves? Okay. Um, I, I, to answer that, I think we need to, to just roll back and look at how most of these great SMEs that are kind of the backbone of the British economy, um, how, they, how they got started. And no one said, I'm really good at doing business exits. I'm going to, I'm going to start a business um, and, and then start doing an engineering business or whatever. Uh, I've done a lot of work in the music industry over the years, um, partly um, commercially and partly out of uh, personal interests. And you have, just imagine a situation where you have a great musician. Um, they play beautiful music. What on earth makes us think they're going to be any good at sales or marketing just because they're a great musician? And we have the same thing in some of the, the clients we might talk to today and in the future, you know, engineering business or professional services business. If they're a great accountant, if they're a great mechanical engineer, what 
what makes them the, the person that's going to have the foresight to work out how to structure a business for an exit? Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely no reason at all. And the, the challenge on the way, I think, for these business owners and, and the musicians and the engineers and the accountants and so on, is how they can recognise what bits they need to be in charge of. Um, I can re- recall right at the beginning of my, my professional career a situation where the owner was challenged, and this is a business I was working in, the owner was challenged to get out the way because they were interfering in the day-to-day. And I'll give the man his due. He stepped aside and said, okay, crack on with it for a couple of weeks and we'll see what happens. And and he ended up coming back into the business um, absolutely convinced that he should no longer be part of the day-to-day. Um, it, the business had grown into a situation where a different mindset was needed to run it. That particular owner stepped aside, um, but it still didn't make him an expert in how to exit a business. Mm. Um, you know, the tax planning, the positioning, the, the creating value and, and looking at a business with the perspective of an investor or a purchaser are things that most businesses have no great experience of. And if people do have experiences, very often they're bad experiences. So. You know, if, if people want to exit their business, how, how about taking the relatively risk-free way of doing it by surrounding yourself with people that do know about it and have seen it happen and can coach people through that, that journey? Um, you know, the, the musician originally, when they started playing their instrument, had training, many of them. Um, I mean, I, I used to have a guitar teacher. Don't know how successful he was, but um, but frankly, without the guitar teacher, I'd never have been a guitarist. But still, it doesn't make me an expert at, at exiting. So, um, it we're back to the thing I was talking about earlier about saying having clarity about where you want your business to go, what you want to do, uh, and then getting the right people to help you. Um, I think that's probably my observation on that one. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because business owners, they're, they're encouraged to build their business over the years um, and you know, get off the tools as soon as they can. You know, get, a, get out of you know, what's the, the classic term, working on your business or working in your business. And they're encouraged and they spend the whole, ex, you know, their whole career getting out of their business day to day, but you know, getting into the management and the strategy side of the business so the business doesn't depend on them being there. So you know, perhaps they've built their whole career around that and then, you know, you know, uh, strategy is something that needs to be done year in, year out. But exit planning is something that most of them only do once. So, yeah, on, a, on a personal level, I was I was taught fairly early on that whenever I was a team leader or ran a department, the best thing I could do is work to set out to make myself redundant hmm. um, because I couldn't be promoted, and the business couldn't promote me until they realised that that section or that team that that division or whatever would survive and flourish without me so i spent most of my time trying to make myself completely unnecessary by by training and developing a team behind me that's the succession piece and at the end of it you have to have faith that in in corporate life that 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 would be recognized and and often it was in my career and i'd be given something new to look after that needed developing or nurturing or growing or whatever Um, but the same thing happens in an SME is how do you get those people to do, to do great work by themselves and without you? And I, and I think one of those 
litmus tests is when the boss is away for a fortnight or four weeks or whatever, does the business do better when the boss is away? And it's a great sign in a well-run SME when that does happen. It's, it's evidence that there's a, almost an owner mindset amongst, uh, amongst the team and they want to prove they can do it without, without the boss about. And that's fantastic. Yeah, that's that's when you need to be a fly on the wall, isn't it? And observe the culture of what the culture is like when the boss is there. Yeah, do they feel liberated? Do they feel free to to do more when that when the boss is not there, or do they feel you know closed in and intimidated when they they, they are there? And uh, we, we've seen, I'm sure we've seen it all in in many of the businesses. So, how long, in your experience, we're saying that you know. Businesses tend to only do an exit once. You know, the, the, the businesses and the business owners who have built their business up over a lifetime, it represents their life's work. In your experience, how long does it take to, to do the planning and, and get them set up ready so that they could be exited when they're ready to exit on their terms? Well, this is always the, the funny thing, isn't it, is that as soon as people know that's what you do is you help people with business exits they say oh i don't i, I don't need to start thinking about that now because i'm not going to leave for five years or whatever um and i suppose the reality is that most businesses exit in an uncontrolled manner um most business owners um because of necessities which could be around old age health um, financial circumstances whatever it might be and the the reverse of that is taking control and my observation and I, I would contend that you should run your business today as though you want to exit it or as though you want to sell it and you should do that even if you've got no intention of selling it for 30 years because a business that is being run as though you want to sell it will be documented it will have have clean accounts that hasn't got the annual um, holiday with the family buried in the accounts and stuff it'll, it'll be running clean accounts where a purchaser f can't find any skeletons so they can have confidence in the purchase price um, it'll have documented relationships with clients etc and so you need that to sell the business but what a great place to be in if you don't want to sell it to have everything lined up and it, your business is just more efficient and I, i've seen people um thinking about exiting and and actually when they tidy up what how their business is is working they their appetite for leaving sometimes decreases yeah because they're finding that the joy of what they first started a business can still be refound um so when should people start looking well you know you, you can do a distress sale of a business in days can't you but you'll achieve nothing um Really, though, a, a controlled exit probably requires between two and three years. I, I reckon closing the annual accounts twice is a minimum uh, in that process to tidy up the accounts and so forth. Um, and then there's getting succession planning in place and all those other great things. So it's, it's two to three years, but you can never start too early. Yeah. And starting early doesn't cost you more money. It, it should make you even more money at the end of it. Um, planning it is about maximizing the value it's interesting isn't it like the sooner you be begin the better off you are because a business that is exitable you know what is it that uh, you know the, the business literature states you know begin with the end in mind I think that one's Covey's Stephen Covey's you know if you begin and you know exactly what your exit plan is then you'll put all the right systems in place because you're looking at the, the big picture 
which, and if you've got systems and processes and governance in place, A, you're going to protect yourself from the unplanned exits and everything will happen, you know, that groundwork you've been laying will, will, will pan out as you had hoped. And B, you'll end up with a more profitable business and an easier business to run anyway. So I'm wondering, you know, why you wouldn't do it er earlier and, and the sooner rather than later. Yeah, I think this piece about thinking about the... the thinking of the of the end game um, right from the very beginning is interesting. And I used to work with a business that um, its sole focus on exiting was two things that we need. We will be able to exit when we have a five million pound revenue and one million pound profit. Well, I guess if you want to really, really abbreviate things down to the smallest amount uh, of words, that's probably not too bad, but it's a, pretty daft measure of, of when your business is ready to exit because what's the quality of that one million pound profit you know most businesses can maximize a profit in one year so it's the quality of the revenue are the customers going to stay and keep repeating are the product sets behind it um uh, packaged in a way that they're sustainable and can reinvent themselves is the profit clean and sustainable and uh, there's so many targets you need to really write down to to to, to run your business successfully and to exit your business successfully. Uh, and I think sometimes people try and oversimplify it. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. When, when you've got that, that soul, that, that, that numbers outcome as your driving measures and your goals, it's, it's no incentive for the people in the business. Here, come and join my business and help me drive it and help me increase the profit so I can get out and make more money. And I'll pay you an average salary. Like, people want to be part of something, in my experience. They, they want to be part of something bigger than themselves. And, and I believe they also crave good leadership. You know, if they want to be part of something, it means they want to follow something and go on that journey with a good leader. And good leadership is not about just purely profit-focused. Profit, fo profit needs to be there and you need to keep an eye on the profit, but it can't be the first thing. It's got to be the last thing. Yeah, and, you know, that brings to mind the different exit choices people have um you know there can be the distress sale there can be the kind of the fade away people can step up their business and grow it really efficiently to um, maximize value or they can do kind of a step down over time as well and of course in the, the step down over time piece which we haven't talked about at all we don't, haven't really had time today to talk about but it's around employee share ownership um too often people are unaware of the flexibility it will give them as a business owner. You know, eventually people are you know, all going to exit their business, but they have a choice on how they can do it. They can leave behind a legacy for those people that they've worked with for a couple of decades and let them carry on having their income and, 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 a, and a business interest. And they can do it on a gradual basis where lots of risk is taken out of the process mm. and there's substantial tax benefits around it. And for the for people that really care about their teams, it's, I would say it's pretty much essential that due consideration should be given to employee share ownership uh, or employee ownership trusts or whatever. Um, it's, it doesn't necessarily have to be the thing you do, but if you don't consider it, it's verging on criminal. Yeah, there's such a powerful way to get everyone aligned and pointed in the same direction and working and being um, incentivized or motivated by the same things. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's the best tool out there that I've seen. Mm. So, Kevin, much. we've covered a heck of a lot of ground today. Um, I'm going to ask you that final question around what, what are your top tips for, for business owners contemplating, thinking about 
I need to start getting my business ready for exit, regardless of when I'm going to do that myself. Okay, top, top tips. Uh, I think the first one, which uh, is very much around business exit, but also around running any business, is surround yourself with the best people, surround yourself with professionals. There is no reason I can think of why you should go around employing the B team. Um, if you have the best people around you, they will make such a difference on the way. Um, that should be the watchword from the get-go right to the exit. Second thing I'd say is get great advisors and be sure they're the advisors you can work with and sit alongside for that two, three year business exit um, because there's going to be lots to do. Um, but be prepared because those great advisors are going to need the full information to be able to help you. And you know, most people are getting information and uh, advice from their mate down the pub who don't have the full picture. Uh, a proper business exit advisor is going to need to know a lot about what's going on so you can be prepared to have great advisors and be open with them and this and the final thing is work on this concept of stepping out of the business um, stepping away from it and making sure your business it can stand on its own two feet without you there every day because if you don't get to that point your business could become unsaleable if you're a, uh, an essential component right up to the exit point yeah Brilliant. Thanks for those tips. It's as much about getting the business ready as it is getting the owners ready for exit. And they're, they're two separate pieces, but both need to happen uh, as part of that transitional process. Top tips. Thank you, Kevin Harrington. Thanks very much, Daryl. Look forward to the next time we do this. Mm -hmm.